Attention! Attention! People of Earth! People of Earth! You're polluting the galaxy's only water planet! Water planet! Listen now to a special edition! Plastic chains and modern Vikings! Heroes of the sea! Ahoy! Tony Malazzo, you are live and on board from Marina Del Rey Harbor in California, and I have a special edition of the show, and it is Plastic Change, and I have the founder with me today. Oh, thanks a lot, Tony, and, and thanks for inviting us to your show. I mean, my name is Henrik Beher-Peterson, I'm Danish, uh, and I have been founding the organization Plastic Change as my best way to come up with an answer to the growing plastic pollution we see in the world's oceans. And uh, I'm happy that we are here today and that this is uh, actually peak of our expedition that started two years ago from Denmark and, and now we are here in LA. This expedition, what we call Expedition Plastic, it's one of our major initiatives. From the start, our aim was to bear evidence. I mean, to be, to be out there and bear witness to to the problem on, on open oceans. So actually moving via a ship and to go out in the gyres where we see most of the plastic and document the issue. And what we do while we're sailing is that we are, we are inviting scientists on board uh, the ship so they get a lot of samples home so they can uh, work further with, the, with all their scientific documentation uh, in the laboratory after our trips. So we, we had scientists on board and been collecting data on how much plastic pollution we have in mm. the oceans for the last two years. Great. And, and one of our partners is actually Five Gyres. Uh, it's an ins institute that is based here in, in Los Angeles. Uh, and uh, a big inspiration has been uh, Marcus Eriksson, who is uh, the science director at the Five Gyres Institute. And we're sharing all the data. And with that data, he's able to make up a picture of where is the plastic in the oceans? How much is there? And that, again, gives people the possibility to act on the issue and that's been uh, the, the, on, on, a, on a deeper level that's the whole mission that we can change this uh, problem in the, in the future uh, and uh, I have three sons at home and, and this is my best answer to the next generation. Sitting to my other side here is Chris Jordan, photographer, cinematographer. You have Midway coming out, right? Yes. Um, I'd like to piece this together. So how did you get involved with the uh, founder here? Well, uh, I have been making photographs that are about mass consumption for quite a few years. Mm -hmm. You know, giant piles of plastic bottles and cell phones and crushed cars and kind of the detritus of human mass consumption. And uh, a few years back, I got interested in ocean plastic pollution. I learned about this problem from my activist friends and ended up on Midway Island in the very middle of the Pacific Ocean, photographing and filming this stunning symbolic tragedy that's happening out there mm -hmm. where this, this tiny island in the very middle of the world's largest ocean is covered with the bodies of tens of thousands of birds whose stomachs are filled with plastic. So I, uh, and I, and I'm going there making a documentary film um, on this subject, kind of celebrating the, the beauty and majesty and, and magnificence of these amazing creatures, and then uh, on, the, on the other hand, sort of holding in balance the horror and the sadness of this tragedy that their bodies are filled with plastic. And through, through putting that work out there in the world, uh, it 
found its way to Henrik, um, and he gave me a call and said, you want to come and sail across the Pacific with me and, uh, and do some documentation and really experience the Pacific garbage patch in person. Yeah, it's a pretty big soup bowl, huh? Yeah, well, it's, it's a really interesting phenomenon. It's a little bit like uh, global climate change, where it's a, it's a hard thing to see. Mm-hmm. You know, it, there's, there's some number of hundreds of thousands of tons of plastic in the Pacific Ocean and in the world's oceans. And if you could be like a magician and lift it all out of the ocean into a ball that would hover in the air, it would be the size of Mount Everest. Wow. But it's spread out over 60 million square miles of the Pacific Ocean, and it's little tiny particles that are always breaking down into smaller and smaller pieces, and they don't float right on the surface. You know, they might be a, a few meters right. down, and so you can't take a photograph of this issue. It's like this invisible phenomenon, and but we know it's there, and it's making it into the food chain. And we can't and just even go pick it up. There's no way to just pick it up if it's like that, right? Yeah, well, there, there's a, a common public misconception that it, it all swirls to the middle into a kind of giant floating island. And if there was such a thing like that, then you just go out there with a big scoop and right. scoop it all up. But, but uh, plastic behaves in the water the, the way smoke behaves in the atmosphere. Wow. Like it, it's concentrated near its source, and then it spreads out and spreads out and spreads out. And by the time you get into the very middle of the Pacific Ocean, you barely see any of it. So... We're, we aren't going to find like masses of plastic. We're going to be dragging a net behind us and uh, you know and pulling in handfuls from what looks like the the, the clear crystal blue Pacific. Now I, I watched your uh, video. Uh, that's actually the trailer for Midway, the film, right? That I yeah. watched the other night. Yeah. Wow. What a, what a feeling came over me. Uh, it was kind of a dark feeling, and my stomach was sick, and I said. What the hell have we done? Uh-huh. Uh, my first thought was, how do you turn something like this back? How do you turn the clock back? How do we change this now? Uh, it kind of felt like almost like, wow, uh, this is heavy. We can't change this. But we can change this, right? Well, yeah, and, and um, it, it's really amazing to be hooked up with Henrik and plastic change because I believe that these changes have to happen as kind of two steps. The first step is we have to be motivated to change. And the way we change is when we feel something. If we get angry enough at the damage that's being done to what we love, or if we, if we feel our sadness, if we really connect with our sadness mm-hmm. for all that is being lost, like when we really feel something, that's when we act. And so I, I sort of think of that as my role as an artist, is to, yeah. is to help people connect with themselves, well you know, with their then. own self on a deeper level, and yeah. just remember that we love our world. That we love the fish and we love the oceans. Mm-hmm. We love life and the, the, the magnificent miracle that we're all a part of. And, and if I can help people co- on a collective level connect more deeply with what they feel, then a guy like Henrik, uh, who's, as a, who's a person who's offering solutions and offering people a, a, a kind of empowerment to do something, then he reaches a huge audience of people who are ready to, to make a move of some kind. The timing is incredible. Uh, when did the organization start? The organization started uh, two and a half years ago, and wow. then we've been on this expedition for two years. Uh, and, and while we have been uh, out on sea, 
we have also been doing our homework, you can say. I mean, lots of the material that we produce uh, while we're sailing, that will end up as, for example, an exhibition. It's supported by the, the Blue Planet Aquarium, Copenhagen, and also the U.S. Embassy in, in Denmark. And it's, and it's going to be a traveling exhibition, traveling in the European countries, ending up at the next Our Ocean Conference in Malta in 2017. Wow. So all the stories, all the images are going to be told uh, in different European countries. And we also have another um, very talented uh, documentarist on, on this tour. Uh, Erica Serena working out of the Safina Center mm. and um, she already has some good agreements with uh, with the major American media so that we know that there will be a nice spread of, of all the work that we do and also a part of the homework is that we take all the stories and all the work we do we, we take it home and we bring it into learning materials so that high school students in Denmark and the and the whole EU um, they will be able to uh, to learn more about this whole issue. That's for me really promising because I believe we need these young, smart brains mm -hmm. with the new green technologies. They will make this their way of living because they will teach us in the future how we could have done this much smarter. Mm -hmm. I mean, we had only 60 years we had this part with plastic and now we have this headache. We have uh, the hangover, hangover. Yeah. <laughs> uh, coming out of the plastic party for, for three generations only. And if you look at our history, it's amazing that we've been able to pollute our air and our water bodies and the soil uh, to that extent uh, with plastic. So now we have to make the turnaround. Uh, and I think the, the, the cooperation here with, with Chris and uh, with major partners like UNEP, uh, with uh, partners like Our Ocean, that's really promising for the future. Well, I'm glad you're doing this. Uh, you're bringing large awareness you're seeing it right now, right? Uh, is this thing, do, do, are you seeing it snowball and the numbers grow and the attention, you're seeing it? Yeah, I mean, today, I mean, we got more donations from people who just came by on their uh, stand-up paddleboard or they, they came by um, just walking uh, and they, um, they gave us donations. I mean, they gave us some new uh, fishing gear or uh, they gave us a small uh, amount of money. Uh, in any ways, uh, many ways, people, they yeah. support us here. You support us with the donations uh, on a very nice arrangement, the event here and the Yacht Club. So we see, and we see so much interest uh, from people who want to know more. People are ready for a more sustainable living, I believe. I mean, I felt the fever. You can't help to get on board. Uh, it started small with just first contact with somebody from you. And as it went on, uh, more people, it just grows. It, it, it's, it's catchy. Uh, I hope you know I'm not done. Uh, I, I feel like part of Plastic Change oh, now. Great. And uh, whatever, whatever I can do, whether it's on this radio show, shout from the highest mountain, or go up and go out and pick out plastic, or help people cut down on plastic, uh, I'm I'm there. Great. And uh, I sure hope the rest of the humans on this planet, one by one, get in line and do the same. Uh, especially after Chris's uh, <laughs> Chris's movie, uh, just wow. When you realize that we've done that kind of damage to our ecosystem in such a short amount of time. It's incredible. It's really astonishing to go to a place as remote as Midway Island. It's basically as far away as you can get from a continent uh -huh. anywhere on Earth. And to find this 
incredible tragedy happening there. It's, uh, it would be a different thing, you know, if you went to Staten Island, you know, fresh kills landfill right outside New York and found birds whose bodies are filled with plastic, or even, you know, a couple miles off the coast of, of Long Beach. But in the very, very middle of the world's largest ocean, it's like the, the Earth's alarm system going off. Now, uh, this expedition, is this your first expedition on a ship? Yes, this is my f- it's the first time I'm ever going to be out of sight of land on a boat. Mm. And it's, uh, it's been the number one item on my, my wish list of things to do in my life for the longest time. I couldn't be more thrilled to be setting sail tomorrow. Um, this probably will make some changes to your photography on your life. Are you ready for that? <laughs> uh, well, I've heard from a few people being out on a boat either makes you sane or makes you crazy. And I have a feeling I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fall in love with it and want to do a lot more. All right. Chris Jordan, the photographer, never going to be the same after this. You're the founder of Plastic Change. People are going to be curious what your background was before this project and how you came up with this. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Thanks for that question, Tony. My background is I've been working on environmental issues my whole life. I mean, it's been... um, it's been the, the, the a travel in my life regarding different environmental issues. I've been working with toxics, for example. I've worked with uh, chemical uh, cocktails of, of cocktails. Uh, um, and I, I'm, I had this education as uh, environmental biologist. So, so I'm, I'm really a specialist in, in how chemicals leach out of consumer products and, and how chemi- chemicals, they, they become a problem for the marine life uh, in, in nature and for, for ourselves. So I'm very much into, for example, uh, some of the softeners uh, that we use in plastic. Mm-hmm. I mean, when we create plastic, it's basically a polymer that we are, we are adding different substances to give it its special um, feature. I mean, I mean, a water bottle must have a, a special surface to be uh, uh, good for containing water, etc. I mean, uh, we make plastic, for example, for televisions that must be um, protected with flame retardants, not to to start burning. And so we add a lot of chemicals, and and those chemicals we now see in our own bloodstream. Uh, if we were testing our own blood now, we would find some of these plastic softeners in our blood. And it's coming to us via the food chain. And and when you look at the issue of plastic pollution, it's definitely a huge source of those chemicals that we now see in the food chain, and we now see in our own blood. So um, it's in everything. Huh? It's in everything, and and it's and it's but it's reversible. I mean, the thing is that we could just really uh, be be a bit more tough on industry. Um, they're ready to move. I mean, they know this is an issue, and they don't want to see all the plastic in the ocean. So they want to cooperate with us. And and uh, if we're a bit um, uh, more strict with the industry and the standards, then we can uh, reuse much more of the plastic in the future. So, so we lost the, the view uh, on plastic as a source. I mean, we just think plastic is something that is a part of consumerism and that we can throw out and then it's an easy fix. But it's actually, it's a valued material. It's, it's pristine oil that we're taking out of the ground and we're then creating a product out of it. And then we're losing it out of our mind. Maybe we're burning it off, but it's a very short value chain if we just make a plastic product and you burn it. So we need a whole new plastic economy. 
And that's what we're working for. We're working for the bigger changes uh, in the longer run. And they are cooperating. You get a great reaction from these companies. People want to change and go green. I want to tell one story, and that's about the personal care products and all the, the small pieces of microplastic that are added to toothpaste. I mean, I mean, imagine that, uh, that uh, the kids for years, they have had this toothpaste and the, the blue line of small particles, the red line of small particles that you, when you glue your toothpaste uh, on your toothbrush, you, then you, uh, you see these colored lines. And that's microplastic. That's small mm. plastic particles that are colored. Uh, and it's been very easy for industry to use microplastic in that way. But now we've got a ban in the U.S. on, on every microplastic in personal care products. Mm. And that's for me, we're working on that ban too in the EU. And for me that shows that consumerism and that we start thinking about how we use plastic. It really has... Um, it has uh, an, a new f a future for us all, and I think that uh, that uh, th that the industry also gives in and say, yes, you're right. That was not the perfect place to use plastic. We should really substitute with something more natural that is uh, able to break down in in nature. Um, that's a, for me a good story about that. Now there is an opening from the industry that. We maybe shouldn't use plastic in all these applications we do today. We should use it smart in the future and not uh, unsmart like in personal care products. I didn't even know until I uh, heard your presentation that there was plastic in my shampoos and soaps. and I mean, I know there was chemicals, but I didn't know there was plastic. Yeah, it's incredible. I mean, we are in Hollywood, so everything out here is plastic. It's a plastic city. Well... There are many uses of plastic. Look at the contact lenses. I mean, I have wear contact lenses. That's a smart way of using plastic, but I, I just don't have to dispose it, dispose it in, in the sink. I mean, it, it must be disposed right, and, and for example, so that it doesn't end up in the oceans. And because if it goes down the drain, it will, it will uh, diminish into small particles, and it will be a part of the ocean plastic in the future. So uh, part of the plastic change, a lot of folks begin to think, oh, I'm not going to stop using plastic, I like plastic, I use plastic this, plastic that. And you're hearing it, folks, that it's a matter of what you do with your plastic, where you put it, how you dispose of it, whether or not it gets recycled, where it ends up. I'm curious to see uh, some sort of video or an animation of the piece of plastic's point of view and where it goes from the day it was made. Well, and one of the strange things about it um, is if you could follow a piece of plastic from, it starts in the ground as, as oil or, or liquid natural gas, gets fracked, and uh, then travels in a truck to uh, a place where it's refined, and then from where it's refined, it travels to a place where it's turned into these things called nurdles, which are mm. basically, it's like raw plastic. There's these tiny little balls of raw plastic. And then the companies that manufacture stuff like plastic bags or plastic silverware or plastic bottles, they buy the nurdles. So the nurdles go in a train, maybe all the way across the country or even across an ocean, to the place where it's manufactured into a plastic knife or fork or spoon. And from there, from that factory, it gets on another truck and it goes to our supermarket where we buy a... A, a, a box of plastic silverware or plastic straws or plastic bottles and we drive home and eat one meal 
with this plastic, uh, this plastic fork or sip one drink with a plastic straw and in the garbage it goes. And, and then from there, there's lots of different ways it can make its way out to the ocean. So there's this really strange, incredibly inefficient whole kind of culture that we're in about disposable plastics. And, you know, that's one of the things to really understand about plastic is that there's nothing wrong with plastic. Like, plastic is not bad. It's an amazing substance. And, and there's all kinds of stuff that we can make from it that we couldn't make out of anything else. Right. Um, it's just the, the disposable plastics and the single-use plastics that are just, it's just kind of a crazy habit that we got into. And now we're realizing that there's this tremendous cost that we're all individually and collectively paying in, in the destruction of what we love which is creatures in the ocean and, and, and the health of our environment. Right. Well, you know, and this is another one of the aspects of plastic that's just so interesting, um, is, is how long-lasting it is. And, uh, you know, from a kind of poetic point of view, you can think of, of plastic on a kind of meta level. You can think of plastic as our collective unconscious uh, manifestation of our fear of death. It's like we want to be immortal. And so we create these things that are immortal. Plastic water bottles. You know, it's, it's, there's something that feels safer about drinking water out of a clear plastic bottle than drinking it out of the tap. Like when you drink it from the tap, you don't know where the water's been. And, 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 and when you look at that, that, that fear that we have of drinking water out of the tap versus out of this perfectly clear, clean plastic bottle, it's like our fear of death. And, and so... the we have this immortal substance that we're using one time and then putting it into our environment where it lasts for who knows how many centuries and continues to cause damage in all kinds of different ways to the the complex living system that right. is our own life support system as well as the life support system for birds and turtles and and you know all the creatures that we love I think that's a, a, a really good point that, that it's our own life system. I mean, it's where we pick up our food that, that we are damaging now. I mean, we 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 test fish in Denmark and we see uh, in in many of them we see plastic now. We just tested herring. We found uh, plastic uh, synthetic fibers from textiles and and more in 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 most of them. So it's our own fish. I mean, I love fish, so I really want to protect our fish and our oysters, etc. And they, are, I mean, they are filtering all the water for us um, in, in a smart way. But they are also filtering all these particles and all these synthetic fibers. So we can, now we get it on our uh, dinner plate. So we should really stop and say, hey, hello. I mean, we love the earth, we love the oceans, we love the fish, we love the birds. I mean, we shouldn't reduce that good. Uh, that human good uh, in the future and for our our sons and daughters. I mean, uh, we basically give them giving them uh, a burden of plastic as 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 a as a gift. I mean, so so I feel a huge responsibility in regard to to uh, showing my sons and the next generations that we we can make this uh, we can make a U-turn on on this issue and 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 be much smarter in the future. I mean, it's just so stupid what we do. So it's, I think the most people really agree if they knew. Many people, they don't know. But the most people, if they knew, they would agree that this is not so smart. So we should really uh, change direction. I think that will, that will be a human um, movement in the future uh, uh, for to change this. Because it's, I mean, we have, what we see today, it will be doubled in 10 years. So today we are, we are mm. littering every minute 
one big truck of plastic. There will be two big trucks of plastic in 10 years. And in, in 2050, there will be four big trucks of plastic every minute. That means we will have more plastic than we will have fish in the oceans in 2050. And I think that's enough for people to know. I mean, then we, we need to make a change. Chris, you came on the project now, going on the expedition. What were you doing just previous uh, to this project? And has it helped you segue? Is that kind of where you're, same direction you're going or changing your direction? Well, b before joining up with Henrik uh, and Plastic Change, for the, for the previous, what's it been now, eight years, I've been working on uh, my film and my photographing project uh, on Midway Island. And mm -hmm. that's part of a, a bigger uh, kind of arc um, that I've been looking at for a very long time, which is about mass consumption. And what I'm really interested in is, uh, is shifting consciousness. In one way, you can look at a problem, like you can point out into the world, out into the, the physical world, and point at a problem like ocean plastic pollution and say, that's the problem out there. We have to solve that problem that's out there. And in one way, that's true. And in another way, the, 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 real, the deeper root of the problem of ocean plastic pollution is not out in the ocean. It's inside our consciousness. It literally lives in, in another dimension, which is the dimension of our mind and our, our collective mind. And that's where I'm interested in, in trying to make a shift. Because if you can change the story, you know, the, we, all, we all live in, in multiple stories. If you can change the story, then you change the world. And so as an artist, that's what I'm interested in, is like, how do you shift collective consciousness and help our culture make wiser decisions? So how do we connect with our collective wisdom? And, uh, and I think art has an important role to play in that process because what, one of the ways, one of the roles that art can play in our culture is to help us connect with what we feel, you know, to, to kind of reconnect with our humanity and with our, with our selfhood and with our mammalness, you know, on a mm -hmm. just kind of deep visceral level. Just remember, what do we love? Like, what really matters to us? If, if all of the plastic bottles in the world all disappeared and we couldn't drink water out of plastic bottles anymore, would, what, would we feel something? How, how much would that matter to us versus if all the sea turtles in the world were gone, if the dolphins went extinct, would that matter to us? And so art can help us remember what we feel, remember what we love, and in that place, we're home. You know, we're reconnected with the deepest part of our, ourself, our soul, or whatever you want to call that. And from that place, we have access to our wisdom, and then we can make new choices that are consistent with, with what we really care about. There's a few things you said the other night that I was unaware of, and I'm a sailor, and uh, I've been drawn to the sea since a child. My heart is at the sea. And I, I didn't realize um, a lot of things about the Pacific Ocean. We're, we're in Marina del Rey Harbor here on the Pacific Ocean. Uh, can you go over a couple of those things for the listeners? Oh, uh, yeah. The Pacific Ocean. Well, first of all, the great ocean of peace. That's what Pacific means. It's the mm. word peace. And it's called the Pacific Ocean in every language. Um, and so in, in Japanese, it's, a, it's, it's a, a word in Japanese, but it means peace. And so it's this vast area of our world that, that we call the, the, the place where peace resides, you know, in, in sort of a mythopoetic way. It's the most beautiful name. But the Pacific Ocean also, it's by far the largest ocean on Earth. In fact, all of the other oceans in the world would fit into the Pacific. And all of the lakes and rivers and glaciers um, and, and all the other water 
the Pacific Ocean holds half of the Earth's water. Wow. And, and to the listeners out there, we don't get to see globes very often anymore, you know, because we're all electronic these days. But next time you see a globe, go to the globe and turn the globe until you can see the Pacific Ocean, and you'll see just how enormous the Pacific Ocean is. It's one quarter of the Earth. Wow. And when you put your finger in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, it's the furthest away from a continent of anywhere on Earth, including North Pole or Antarctica or anywhere. Right where you put your finger, in, in, in the middle of this vast, vast, deep ocean, there's that island called Midway Island, which is covered with the bodies of tens of thousands of, of albatrosses whose stomachs are filled with plastic. And it's such an interesting thing, because of all of the possible birds it could be, you know, it could be Pacific pigeons or laysand ducks or whatever birds filled with plastic, it's this legendary creature that has a thousand-year history in our poetry and our literature as a, as a harbinger of, of changing winds and shifting fortunes and a carrier of messages. And so it's, uh, it's, like, a, a, it's like a poem coming from Earth herself, just reminding us of what we have forgotten. Something interesting also you said uh, the other night during the presentation that I didn't realize, that these birds don't have enemies don't have uh, predators. Predators. predators sorry yeah. yes they yeah. don't have predators yeah and I mean there are very few places in the world where there are no mammals and in the Midway Island the, the, that way out on that Hawaiian island chain is one of those places where there's never been a predator for millions of years and so all of the birds that live on this island have no fear of humans and it's the most astonishing experience to be able to walk out into a field of hundreds of thousands of albatrosses and these, these birds, are, they're as big as eagles. They're huge and, and incredibly magnificent. Um, and you can walk out into a field of hundreds of thousands of them, and not only do they not run away and fly away, like birds do everywhere else in the world, they actually come toward us. They're curious. And so from 50 feet away, you see them looking at you like, what's that thing over there? And they start coming closer and closer until they'll walk right up to you and like nibble on your earlobe and like nibble on, on your hand and, and, and come up and check us out. And so uh, for me, it's, it's, I mean, it's a spiritual experience to, to be with them, with these, these amazing sentient beings. And at the same time, uh, to, uh, on the other hand, um, to experience the tragedy that they don't know. They can't know that the plastic is killing them. They don't know why their babies are dying. They can't know what plastic is. We're the only ones who know that. And to be with them and to see an albatross who's choking to death on a, a cigarette lighter, and to be with the babies as the babies are dying in their nests and the parents are grieving the loss of their baby, and to know that it was us that did it and that they can't know that, it's, uh, it, it's an incredibly powerful experience that, that brings up grief. And when I first went there, I had never really experienced grief before, and I've, I've, I've been very interested in grief through, through this whole process uh, of, of working on Midway. And I, I came to understand, like for all of my life until recently, I thought grief was a bad feeling. And it's something to kind of, if you feel it, you know, make it go away, because grief is bad. But in the process of grieving for these birds, I discovered that what grief actually is, grief is not the same as despair or sadness. Grief is the same as love. Grief is, is the love that we feel. It's a felt experience of love 
for something that we're losing or that we've lost. And so when we grieve, we reconnect with this deep part of ourself where our love resides. And there we are, we're home, and we have access to our wisdom and our compassion. And in that space, we, we, we can make new choices. Question for the founder, where would you, I mean, we, you've seen what's happened, what you've done in two years. I could just imagine where we'll be two years from now, maybe five, ten. Can you give us an idea where you'd like to be, or do you have some sort of timeline in your head or goals with this? I think, first of all, we, we, we hope that we can create a global uh, consciousness around this issue. We are part of a, a global initiative called uh, Break Free from Plastic. It's a lot of uh, global organizations working together to, to create n a new storyline and, and, and to, to, um, also to challenge the way the industry is perceiving itself. I mean, we, we want the industry to move on this issue and they see it. They see that we need a more circular economy in the future. We need uh, more real sustainable solutions in their industry and, and they know that they are under oppression now. So so in, in my world, in five or ten years, we will be a, a bigger population knowing about the issue and, and we'll be able to to also move the voters. I think what we should do and, and, and what are trying to do is to get this uh, issue high on the, on the political agenda. And, and if you ask me if I believe that that could happen, I mean, I, if I look at Denmark, I mean, people, they start knitting because they want to produce, uh, they want to add, they want to support a campaign, so they want textiles with no plastic. So they start knitting. I mean, that's, a, for me, that's a, a great answer that people are really uh, ready uh, to do an effort. And that we just, as an organization and, 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 and as industry and as politicians, we have to advise people what, what is the best thing to do in the future regarding plastic. So there is a, a huge job for us still to do um, to, to, uh, to win this one. And I hope we get back someday here in, in your yacht club and that we can tell that uh, now we are even uh, more people committed to... to, to uh, to a, a future where we live sustainable with, with plastic. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm glad that we have people like you and the movement, and I feel it, and uh, it's becoming a movement, and uh, there's going to be some change. Yeah, definitely. And you folks have uh, changed me and affected me and a lot of other people, and we're going to continue that. I'd like to thank you guys for, uh, for coming out. I'd like to be part of Plastic Change, so anything I can do for you folks, you let me know. Please have a look at the Plastic Change International if you want to follow us on Facebook, that's possible. And you can look at our website at plasticchange.org um, to follow us in the future. And, and thanks for inviting us. Thank you. Uh, Chris, where can everybody find you? Well, um, my website is chrisjordan.com, and then uh, my Midway film is coming soon. Stay tuned. Um, you can see the trailer, a little four-minute trailer, at midwayfilm.com. And just a quick, uh, a quick note to, to all the listeners out there. I know this is, this is not an easy subject to, to be with. You know, it's uncomfortable uh -huh. to talk about the problems of our world. And uh, so I thank all of you guys for staying tuned and for hanging in there and engaging because, you know, we can only do this together. We're all in this machine yeah. That we can't really extricate ourselves from it, so we have to be in the paradox. Yeah. And it's hard to be with, but you know, the, the, the other alternative is to live in denial. 
Yeah. And for me, that's just not acceptable anymore. I think Chris's pictures, they have made a huge difference uh, regarding this issue and they will make uh, a huge difference uh, in the future because they really touch people and, and, and I met a lady on Hawaii, uh, she's working for, for the Johnson Juana um, Foundation as a volunteer and and she told me that, um, look at that picture from Chris of, of, of these uh, creatures, I mean these albatrosses and she's been working eight years as a volunteer. Uh, and the whole motivation started with these pictures. It's very strong storytelling, and I think it will support the campaign a lot in the future. You're leaving for Hawaii. This leg is thousands of miles. For any of you who don't know, it's thousands of miles, and there's nothing in between. There's no place to stop off and get something. Uh, I've seen the boat. Uh, it's an incredible vessel, but I do know there is not a lot of room. You have uh, a lot of gear. Uh, you don't have refrigeration that I was able to notice. Are you ready for this? This goes to Chris first. Are you ready for this, Chris? <laughs> Tight quarters, about 10 people. Oh, man. Well, this is the first time I've been on uh, an ocean sailing boat like this. And the first thing that Henrik brought me into the boat and he said, this is where you're going to sleep. And he pointed to uh, basically a shelf. <laughs> and it's it's about the size of a one-person backpacking tent, except it's about a foot tall. So I don't I don't have room to sit up in there, and uh, I I kind of squeezed my way in, and I barely fit, and I started thinking, hmm, this might be a really long three weeks. <laughs> but then you know people have been sailing for for whatever thousands of years. And I started to think that there, there's a kind of hardship that goes with the process that's like going backpacking or mountaineering or anything. Right. And you just kind of be with that hardship, and it's an adventure. And I have to, I have to admit, I'm scared. You know, one of my friends loves to remind me. He says, when you're scared, uh, he said, you're supposed to be scared when you're living your life as an adventure. Yeah. So when you're scared, that's an indication that you're doing something cool and exciting. So I'm, I couldn't be more stoked. Uh, I'm glad I'm staying here. I'll, I'll mail a check like the rest of our listeners should do. I mean, if you're not if you're not doing this, you're not an adventurer. You can't get on a boat and go thousands of miles, and you can't make the difference like these people are. Then you have to help them out. That's what it's about. You're sitting home on your couch watching TV. Everything sounds good. Everybody talks a good game. They want to change the planet. They want to do something. Here's where they can. They could contact Plastic Change International and help fund this thing and help you guys do more. Great. Thanks a lot. We need all the support because we, we are in this together. And, and this project is not going to be stronger than the support we get. So um, definitely, you're right. Thanks a lot. Thank you. And it's as big as you, the listeners out there. You're the people who can make this even bigger and could change the planet and make a difference. Boy, I wish I could hide somewhere in that boat, but there's no place to hide. I, I looked. <laughs> I looked. Uh, there's no. I'm short. We would love that you were hiding. I can't hide. Oh. I mean, I'm I'm small. I'm short, and there's no place for me on this vessel. You couldn't fit another dozen eggs on that boat. You're listening to Live and On Board with Tony Malazzo. Catch up with me on Twitter and Periscope at Tony Malazzo Live. Email Live and On Board Podcast at gmail.com. And check out our new open group on Facebook, Live and On Board Podcast.